Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the Minnesota Attorney General files suit against an Arizona drug company in an effort to combat the opioid epidemic, state park family fun ideas for summer, and an in-depth look at Canterbury with track announcer Paul Allen. But first, it's been a busy week and weekend in Minnesota politics, with Governor Dayton taking action on the last of the bills passed by the 2018 legislature, plus Republicans holding their state convention in Duluth to endorse candidates for governor and U.S. Senate. Will Democrats do the same at their state convention in Rochester? MNN's Bill Werner has an overview. Scott, let's tie up the package on the legislative session first, then we'll move on to the conventions. Speculation started flying right after the legislature adjourned and it ratcheted up after Governor Mark Dayton vetoed not only the tax bill but also the supplemental budget bill, two of the legislature's major work products. Would 2018 end up being a do-nothing session? Or would Dayton sign the bonding bill? Observers and analysts were expecting line-item vetoes, at least. I have opinions on even parts that I'm, you know, prepared to go along with. Wednesday morning, the governor announced his decision. This morning, I'm signing the bonding bill with one line-item veto. A relatively minor one, leaving most of the roughly $1.5 billion bonding bill intact. But the governor was clear that he signed something he's not particularly happy with. The bill itself is is so inadequate for funding that to deprive uh, projects and organizations of money which uh, I think will be well used was uh, ill-advised. The governor says higher education funding was insufficient, including for new medical buildings at the U of M. He says there's no money for transit, road and bridge money also inadequate. The measure injects $400 million into the Corridors of Commerce highway program. That's sparked by Republicans' anger that MnDOT did not include enough rural projects on its 2018 list. Dayton fires back. The agency followed the legislature's rules exactly. It didn't turn out with the result they wanted, so they... They, now they're blaming MnDOT. It's just, it's just ludicrous. The governor says the fact that MnDOT received 173 requests and was only able to fund a few projects demonstrates the legislature has not allocated sufficient dollars for transportation. Republicans respond they won't agree to a gas tax hike or other increases which some Democrats want. Republicans are happy that Dayton signed the bonding bill. House Capital Investment Committee Chairman Grove City Republican Dean Erdahl says... I'm glad that we were able to to get a good bill through the legislature. Uh, there were times when I was I had doubts that that was going to happen. Uh, it was great to have it signed by the governor because this is a bill that addresses the needs of many, many people in the state of Minnesota. Uh, it is strong on infrastructure. It deals with a lot of asset preservation. It deals with our water projects, wastewater, clean water. Uh, it has money in the bill for school security, which unfortunately didn't make it past the veto in the education bill. It has uh, mental health crisis centers in it. It has uh, these the veterans' homes. Uh, just a lot of, I think, very important projects that meet the needs of the people of Minnesota. And I'm proud and pleased that we were able to get it through. The pundits, I guess, or the analysts, uh, whatever you want to call them, um, had labeled this a do-nothing session, and you still see that come up. And I, I assume they're basing that on the vetoes of the tax bill and the um, and the supplemental budget bill. 
Do you think that this kind of changes history's judgment of the 2018 legislative session, the fact that a bonding bill was passed? I I think it certainly does. Uh, We have passed a major piece of legislation with $1.5 billion in it, and it's doing important things. Uh, You can't say that it's a do-nothing legislature when something gets passed that is this big. That's Representative Dean Erdahl. Switching gears now. Lawmakers and other party faithful are in Duluth and Rochester this weekend as Republicans and Democrats hold their state conventions. Thursday morning, one day before the gavels came down, former Governor Tim Pawlenty announced his lieutenant governor running mate, current Lieutenant Governor Michelle Fischbach, a Republican in the Democratic Mark Dayton administration, who's now running with a Republican former governor seeking his third term. She is without question, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on, a respected, thoughtful, strong, experienced policy leader. Says Palenti about Fishbach, who recently resigned her state Senate seat representing the Painesville area amid a brewing legal battle over whether she could be a state senator at the same time she's lieutenant governor. Now remember back, all this started when Al Franken resigned from the U.S. Senate. Governor Dayton appointed Lieutenant Governor Tina Smith to take his place through the November election. And then, according to the state constitution, the president of the Minnesota Senate who happened to be Republican Michelle Fishbach became lieutenant governor. Fishbach says she knew Palenti wanted her as his running mate when she resigned her state Senate seat and indicates if voters' choice this fall is the Palenti-Fishbach ticket. We're committed to work to hold government accountable, reduce health care costs, eliminate taxation on Social Security benefits, improve our educational systems, and reform the Minnesota tax system. Meanwhile, Pawlenty is not at the Republican State Convention in Duluth this weekend because he is not asking for his party's endorsement for governor. We got in the race in April. The convention was coming up in a short amount of time. We didn't think it was realistic to try to catch people who have been running, in some cases, for a year or more. And so there was that component to it. But I also think, going forward, it is going to be healthy for the political discussion and process in Minnesota to have a broader and larger group of people weigh in on who they want their candidates to be. I think that would have a healthy balancing effect on the political discussion in Minnesota. Democratic rival Tim Walls says about the situation. Tim Pawlenty certainly has, is going to have a lot of money, a lot of outside money at this point in time. There's 400 really dedicated people in Naples, Florida, want to see him be governor of Minnesota. Um, So we don't take that lightly. And I say this non-facetiously, that someone with that kind of money and that kind of name recognition is probably going to stride very big into that space. Uh, We welcome that, I think, and uh, and we're very clearly talking about Tim Pawlenty because his agenda is very clear to understand. What he's done in his record is very clear to understand. Uh, I, I would think the Republicans will go where the money's at. They will go with the person that they know. And uh, and for us, that is a wonderful place to make a contrast because uh, Tim Pawlenty sees uh, the world in Minnesota through a very different lens than I see. That's Tim Walls. And so let's get ready for the campaign season to get going full swing. Scott? Thanks, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, aunt, son. Learn fast. F-A-S-T. The sudden signs of a stroke and you could save. Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F. Face drooping. A. Arm weakness. S. Speech difficulty. T. Time to call 911. F-A-S-T. Face, arm, speech, time. That's F. Face drooping. A. Arm weakness. S. Speech difficulty. 
T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of... Your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on, because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother... Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Minnesota Attorney General Lori Swanson this week announced a lawsuit against Arizona-based opioid manufacturer Insys Therapeutics. Swanson alleges that the company illegally marketed fentanyl meant to treat pain in cancer patients. I talked to the Attorney General about the opioid epidemic in Minnesota and about the specifics of the lawsuit. Yeah, we filed a lawsuit along with the Minnesota Board of Pharmacy against an Arizona-based company for illegally marketing a highly potent form of fentanyl, which is an opioid painkiller that was approved by the federal government only to treat breakthrough pain of severe type in cancer patients for other uses uh, that had nothing to do with cancer and at doses that were many times higher than approved by the federal government. Federal law says that a drug company is not supposed to push or market a drug for purposes other than that which were approved by the Federal Food and Drug Administration. Um, you know, that law is in place to, for patient safety. And in this case, this company was pushing the drug uh, in ways that were not approved, uh, you know, by the FDA. In addition to that, the company was paying physicians uh, payments that we allege in the lawsuit violate Minnesota's pharmaceutical gift ban statute. So we have a state law in Minnesota that says pharmaceutical companies aren't supposed to make gifts to healthcare providers of more than $50 per year, the idea being that providers should not be financially incentivized to sell a particular drug. Providers should only prescribe a drug based on the medical needs of the patient. And what's especially galling is that we're in the middle of an opioid epidemic. The whole country is. Uh, Fentanyl is highly potent. It's 100 times more powerful than morphine. And you know, it's a dangerous product. I mean, it it can be an appropriate product when used safely for the right patient as recommended by the FDA, but it can also be a dangerous product if used for off-label purposes and not used, you know, appropriately, and it's highly addictive as well. And it's especially troubling to have in this climate, you know, that we're in, you know, a company that pushed a dangerous form of fentanyl on physicians who in turn prescribed them to patients Uh, And this pharmaceutical company did that to enrich its balance sheet. And that was going to be my next question here. The the ultimate end goal of this particular company was to make more money off of the drug. Is that that the idea? Yeah, they want to make more money off of the drug. Um, It's an expensive drug. Again, it's a niche product. It's supposed to be used for cancer patients who are already taking an opioid, but their cancer is so serious that that opioid isn't you know, always controlling their pain, so the pain will break through and become excruciating at times. And the FDA said, you know, and the approved labeling saying, okay, if, if the breakthrough pain occurs, you know, for the cancer patient, then you can administer a dose, you know, up to four times a day to deal with that excruciating breakthrough pain. And that's the circumstances under which this should be used. Here, the company, you know, they're running contests for sales agents, uh, you know, incentivizing them to try to, you know, sign up 
you know, patients. They camped out. I mean, they, they issued high-level company executives issued directives to the sales agent. We want you to find some doctors, you know, who will make us a lot of money. And they said, live with them or move in with them into their offices. And, and uh, you know, they called patients um, who are on this drug an annuity that keeps paying because the drug is so lucrative. And they said, you've got to go hustle these doctors who they call the golden gem physicians or the low-hanging fruit because they'd be susceptible of prescribing this drug. And just the terms that they're using, are they have no place in medicine. They have no place in healthcare. Um, the crass and cavalier way they're describing patients and physicians. Um, you know, for some of the physicians that we saw taking the payments, they hadn't been prescribing this drug. And within weeks of getting these speaking fees, all of a sudden, lo and behold, they started prescribing the drug uh, to patients and became some top prescribers for the company. And and it worked uh, for the company. In 2012, when they were approved to sell this drug, you know, they were competing against five other competitors. But by 2016, they had captured 42% of that market share in this niche market of fast-acting um, opioid spray for cancer patients. You mentioned that this is a, an epidemic that's certainly facing not just Minnesota, but it's a, around the nation here. Is this... Is this a, a smaller step in a, a larger battle that you intend to wage with pharmaceutical companies who are prescribing yeah. opioids? Yeah, great question. And so we are part, we're, I'm working with the majority of the country's attorney generals on a bipartisan investigation of the pharmaceutical industry. We are very active and um, playing a leadership role in that investigation and very actively looking at the culpability of the pharmaceutical industry for contributing to the opioid epidemic and also the, you know, costs to society caused by the opioid epidemic through their marketing of drugs. Um, And stay tuned uh, on that one. Those are, you know, investigations that we're very much knee-deep in, waist-deep in, in terms of investigating. And then this particular company, it is a niche product. It's not as big as some of those other companies that are selling drugs with the household name. Uh, but they still were able to make good money for themselves because the drug is so expensive. And, um, you know, just selling, you know, to, you know, even a small number of patients because of the cost of the drug can be very, very lucrative. And so it is it is one step in an overall response to the opioid epidemic. The other investigations are pending. I've um, believed we've needed to change Minnesota law to better deal with the opioid epidemic. Uh, We've issued a number of legislative recommendations. Most of them haven't passed. I hope next session the legislature can take up the opioid problem as well. I think there is more Minnesota can and should do as a state to deal with this epidemic, including changing some of the laws and better funding treatment. Thank you to my guest, Minnesota Attorney General Lori Swanson. As of airtime for this program, INSYS had not commented on the suit. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. If you're looking for some fun, family-friendly activities to take part in this summer, MNN's Tasha Radel encourages you to check out a Minnesota State Park. Minnesota is home to 75 beautiful state parks and recreation areas, and I guarantee you, you won't be disappointed. Joining me now is Pat Arndt with the DNR to explain some of the park offerings. Well, I can give you a sampling of some of the programs. We do encourage people to go online and look for more. But here's a few ideas. Um, There's a lady slipper walk 
up at Jay Cook State Park this weekend, which is up by Duluth. And I don't know if everybody knows, but in addition to our showy lady slipper, there are also yellow lady slippers. And the naturalist will take you on a hike to find some of those. And then if you're always wanting to learn how to identify birds out at Sibley State Park, which is in southwestern Minnesota, uh, near Wilmer, they're going to do a birding by smartphone. Can you imagine that, Tasha? I'm Um, not even sure I know what you mean. (laughs) Well... (laughs) You download the Merlin, it's M-E-R-L-I-N, bird ID app, and you have that on your smartphone, and you come out to the park, and the naturalist there will show you how to use that on your own to be able to identify birds when you're out in nature. So I think it's a case of technology being our friend with nature instead of being like foe for us or competition for nature. And then um, the last one I just wanted to mention is an intro to trout fishing. I think when people think about trout fishing, it's a little bit more complicated than just regular, you know, putting your uh, line in the water and catching a sunny. And at Whitewater State Park, which is down in southeast Minnesota near Winona, uh, every um, Sunday through September, so every Sunday, just show up uh, 10.30 to noon, and they'll have rods, reels, and tackle provided for you at this program. Um, to introduce you to trout fishing. Now, they are um, asking you to uh, bring your own bait, and they are suggesting that worms often work best, so that's the only thing you need to bring. Lots of fun stuff going on, and like you said, for more information on these different programs, uh, go to the website. Right, yeah, just go to mndnr.gov and click on the events calendar for Minnesota State Parks and Trails. And you know, Pat, another thing I wanted to hit on too that I I don't think a lot of people um, maybe remember or realize is that with these family-friendly programs, uh, you also provide equipment too for folks that might not have uh, things like that or they can rent things. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. There are a lot of things that are provided for free thanks to the Clean Water Land and Legacy Amendment we're able to provide a number of different things that people can just stop in a park office and borrow it. And it ranges from GPS units. So if you want to go geocaching, but you're like, oh, we don't have a GPS, you can stop in the park office, many of the park offices, and borrow one. We've got birding kits, fishing kits, and kids' discovery kits. And you know, another thing too, uh, fishing, you can fish in a number of our Minnesota state parks. Do you need a license when you go fishing there? If you are a Minnesota resident, you do not need a fishing license to fish in most Minnesota state parks. There are some exceptions. Um, So, again, check online or stop in the park office before you go out. But you can fish for free in most Minnesota state parks. So free fishing equipment, don't need a license. The only thing you need is a vehicle permit to get into the park. And another thing, too, if people want to make a weekend out of it, a number of the parks offer camping as well. Oh, absolutely. Almost all of the Minnesota State Parks and Recreation Areas offer camping. And we suggest that people just go online, again, to mndnr.gov slash reservations and make your reservations and make them ahead of time. If you're a last-minute person and your plans change, you can go online the day of and make your reservation, and there won't be any reservation fee. And then the last thing, and not to put you on the spot, Pat, but uh, I know if I remember right, there's a state park pretty much within reach of of everyone's backyard. 
Oh, yes, definitely. Within pretty much 30 miles of anybody around the state, there is a Minnesota state park, state recreation area, state trail, or even a state water trail if you're a person who likes to canoe or paddle. So it's right out your back door. So even if you're not going to go camp in a state park, uh, you're going up to the cabin for the weekend, um, go online and take a look. There's probably something going on right out your back door, no matter where you are in Minnesota. We're just rich with these recreation opportunities in Minnesota. Thanks again to my guest, Pat Arndt, with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Also, another reminder, next Saturday, June 10th, is National Get Outdoors Day. What this means is Minnesota's 75 state parks and rec areas will all be offering free admission this day, and many of them have planned special activities to introduce you to the fun of geocaching, kayaking, camping, and other family-friendly activities. For more information, you can head to the Department of Natural Resources website at dnr.state.mn.us. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Your surgery is over. Oh, it's over? What happened? Hi, Mr. Detweiler. Dr. Newman here. You have a new knee. It went great. You'll be up and around before you know it. And it's all because of you. Uh, what did I do? You were captain of Team Detweiler. You told us everything we needed to know. Your medical history, your allergies and prescription meds. You asked me tons of questions. What your options to surgery might be, what to expect during recovery. You even asked me how many knee replacements I've already done. Huh, I guess I did kind of run the whole operation, didn't I? Mr. Detweiler, we couldn't have done it without you. Patient safety. It takes a team. And patient involvement is key. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. With more tips at orthoinfo.org slash patient safety. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As we trot into the month of June, things are full gallop at Canterbury Park in Shakopee, where horse racing season is underway. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with the facility's track announcer, Paul Allen. Well, Paul Allen, I think most people in the Twin Cities and around the state find you most recognizable as the voice of the Vikings. And then probably as your dominating midday talk show based in the Twin Cities, the diehards know that you came to Minnesota low these many years ago, not for either of those two jobs, but to call horse racing in Shakopee at Canterbury Park, and here you are still doing it. Yeah, Michael, it um, it brought me to Minnesota in 1995, and um, I did the Gypsy Trail 95 through 98, like a lot of people in horse racing do. Um, I was a racetrack announcer in the Bay Area at uh, racetracks called Bay Meadows and Golden Gate Fields. I spent, I'd say, six to seven months a year there. Then I would go to Grand Island, Nebraska, fill in for, for an announcer for five weeks, and then come up to Shakopee. So, it was taxing. Um, not a lot of cash to be had at the end of the equation uh, when it involves betting on horses, traveling, and double rent. Uh, but uh, I learned a lot from it. And um, you know what? Uh, reap the benefits in that it exposed me to Minnesota, uh, KFAN Radio, and eventually the Vikings. And all these years later, you're still doing it. I think 
if you wanted to, you could step away from that particular job. But I think you like going out there uh, on weekends in the summer, right? Absolutely, very much. I'm there quite a bit during the winter. There are people you meet, and there are just situations you get into where you just really appreciate them the older you get. So, you know, having started Canterbury in 95, I'm a lot different now in 2018 than I was 95 through, say, 2005, 2006. And, you know, I just have a genuine appreciation for the job. I love calling races, and and I love the competitive aspect of of the horse races. When you call a Vikings football game at U.S. Bank Stadium, Mm -hmm. how is that different from calling, uh, what, a 10-card horse racing event at Shakopee? Well, uh, you know, for me, the the Vikings play-by-play job that I started in 2002 is it's my first play-by-play job at any level. So when I came into it, you know, granted, very wild, very rough around the edges. You know, unfortunately, the the Vikings vice presidents, the team, and the fans stuck with me in the early stages because there definitely were some bumpy roads. It's uh, you know, I think it's more polished now than it was then. But um, for me, you know, given it's my first play-by-play job in the NFL, I, I didn't I didn't come in with anybody's style. I came in with my style, you know, and and horse racing had a lot to do with that because there are a lot of things and a lot of crescendo building scenarios that I do in the NFL, specifically with certain plays that I've executed at the racetrack somewhere during 30,000 horse race calls. You know, the, um, the, the, the signature call that I kind of developed in the NFL with Adrian Peterson when, when he would get free and, and I'd blurt and he's loose. I had been doing that at Canterbury all the way back to the late 90s, 2001, 2002, when a speed horse would take the lead at the top of the stretch and open up by five. Canterbury has uh, really uh, exploded, especially here the last few years with the partnership with the uh, with the Midwatican Sioux and the Casino. And there were maybe uh, maybe a minute or two over the course of time where the future of that track was, was I don't know if endowed maybe is too strong of a term, but mm-hmm. it's strong now. You're having stakes races. It's an exciting season. You're underway again here, what, a month or so into it. Yeah. Um, big summer ahead to tell fans that maybe have never been out to the track anywhere from the state uh, why they should come out and how much fun it is. Well, you laid it out perfectly. The ownership group, it's a family-run racetrack. Now, a lot of racetracks around the country are owned by big companies, you know, and it's not like we don't have to be observant of the bottom line and profit for our shareholders because we do. But when you're owned by the Sampsons from Hector, Minnesota or Dale Shenian from St. Paul, you have a little more leeway, you know, when it comes to that bottom line. And, you know, we were we were a break-even company at best for, I'd say, three, four or five years. Then we then we cut that deal with the Shakopee, Midwakan, and Sioux. And you're right, things from a marketing standpoint, an aesthetic standpoint on track, and a bottom line standpoint from for the purses have been really, really good. Now, Canterbury being a family-type track, I've called horse races and been at tracks around the country for a quarter century. It's not as cutthroat at Canterbury as it is at a lot of racetracks. Uh, we, we're more of an entertainment facility than we are a hardcore horse racing facility. You know, for instance, like on Sundays, family day, we have face painting, pony rides. Uh, There's a big arcade. There's a big PlayStation. Kids get to run on the dirt track at the end of the card, sprint like 50 yards. I call that race. And it can be an inexpensive day. It can also be a profit-making day if you know what you're doing, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, admission $7 for adults to get in on certain days, $9 on premium days. You know, so when when you come with a family of four and two of them are adults, 
adults and two are kids who get in for free, you're in for 14. That's pretty good. Well, very good. I know uh, you enjoy it so much. We enjoy listening. Uh, we'll be out there at some point this Excellent. summer. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, PA. Thank you, Michael. That's Paul Allen and Mike Grimm. And that's going to do it for this week. Thank you for tuning in. And please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.